0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning, welcome. This is the uh, the beginning of our process of becoming organized as a community. It usually takes me weeks, so congratulations on being so efficient at this. Welcome to First Methodist Church. My name is Mike Marshall. I'm one of the pastors here. We're thrilled that you're worshiping today. For those of you that you are worshiping online, welcome! We're glad to see you, you know, kind of, but we're glad to know that you're here. Thank you for letting us know that you're here. For those of you in the sanctuary, we're glad you're here. There are attendance pads nearby at the end of every row, one way or another. Please do fill that out and share it with others who are nearby. Uh, we look forward to following Appreciate you being here today. Let's see. I want to remind you that throughout service, all the responses that you'll need—things uh, to say, things to sing—they'll be up on our screens here in the sanctuary. They'll be on your devices at home, uh, so it will be very easy for you to participate. I want to remind you: many of you participate mission where once a month you can go to the mission, get the names of a couple families, and deliver groceries to them. We thank you for that. Uh, Today is one of those days. So at the end of this service, uh, if you would like to go to the First Street Methodist mission, uh, you'll be able to bag some groceries and deliver those and know that it may So thank you so much. You don't even need to have signed up for it in advance. Just head to the mission, and they will welcome you warmly. Next Sunday, so many things, you know, time marches on. Next Sunday is All Saints Sunday. This is the time that we pause to give thanks to God for all the people in our church community who have made the transition from this life to the life to come. It's always such a meaningful service, and we invite you to be a part of that. And we want to remind you that next Sunday is fall back. It's time change. We gain an hour. Let's just savor that for a moment. <laughs> so please be aware of that for next week, and we look forward uh, to worshiping with you as well as two weeks from today, because that will be our youth Sunday. Youth Sunday is on November 13th. Middle school, high school, youth with their outstanding leadership, it is just, it is simply excellent. So these are the things we want you to be aware of this morning. Again, we are so grateful for your presence. And I invite you now to stand for our call to worship. And again, those words will be on the screens. How blessed we are that God forgives us and loves us. For all those times when we have fallen short of what God would have us be, we have been forgiven. God makes us new in God's spirit. Now is the time to joyfully accept the newness of life which God offers to us. Come, let us worship and be thankful. Let us open our hearts to the peace and joy of God. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, good morning again. I'm so glad that you're here with us. My name is Clint Church. I'm one of the worship leaders here uh, at the Gathering, along with the Gathering Band. And if you're tuning in online, hey, so glad you're joining with us. And, or if you're here in the beautiful sanctuary here on Fifth Street, so happy to have you worshiping with us. Uh, this first song, it's pretty easy. I said this a couple weeks ago like this is an easy song and again i'm going to let you all decide if it's easy or not but it, words are up on the screen if you don't know it we've sung it a couple times it's been a while this song is called oh our lord oh our lord oh our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth than her brother there is no judgment oh how he loves me I've got a friend he is my strength he is my portion with me in the valley with me in the fire with me in the storm still Vicious. So come if you're needing forgiveness and healing, his mercy is Yeah, And hey, this is our hope, the cross it has spoken, death is no more.
2: Mike, is it the baptism first or the prayers first? I first. That's my bad. Everybody sit down. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm new here. There's a lot of different services every Sunday. Uh, come as you are, I like to say, and that includes me. Everybody, what a celebration a baptism is in the life of the church. It's a chance for not only a family to celebrate, but for an entire congregation to, some, to celebrate uh, the presentation of a child for sacred baptism. It's in that spirit that I invite the Patek family forward for the baptism of their son, Brooks Allen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, with the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All of this is God's gift offered to us without price. I present Brooks Allen Padick for baptism. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sins? If so, say, I do. I do. do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, say, I do. I Do Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races? If so, say, I do. I do. And finally, will you nurture Brooks Allen in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, he may be guided to accept God's grace for himself, to profess his faith openly, and to lead a Christian life. If so, say, I will. I will. Hey, Brooks. How are you? But Yes. Oh. Thank you for getting everybody back on my side. <laughs> <laughs> Brooks, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and pray God's richest blessings upon you now and every day of your life. Amen. Would you place your hands on Brooks with me, please? Brooks Allen, the Holy Spirit work within you that being born through water in the spirit, you may grow as a faithful disciple of your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Brooks, let's see everybody. Do you have a question? (laughs) No? Can I be honest with you? Some special things are starting to happen in my life Uh, Baptism is always special. It's always sacred. It's always a gift here. I'm going to just do this so everyone can see Brooks. And something special is starting to happen. And that's where men and women who I had a chance to be present at their marriage are now raising families in the life of our church. And it's just making so real to me what the promise of baptism is because it's a promise rooted in family, not just a biological family, but a church family. And part of the baptism is a promise, a promise to you, Brooks, that says when you need to learn this little light of mine, we're going to teach it to you. And then when you need to learn the Bible song, we're going to teach it to you. And when you need someone to chaperone your, your junior high lock-in, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. All because we love you and we are so excited. Yeah, it's okay. You get to be that too. Did you see how I started today? Not everything's perfect. <laughs> All because we desire to be a part of your church family. If you agree, would you please join me with a round of applause? Thank you, all Congratulations.
0: Well, I know for all of us at the top of our list of prayers of gratitude this morning will be Brooks Allen and his family. And that's really timely because we now enter into the time and worship that we call prayers of the people. This is this really nice opportunity for us to, regardless of whether your morning has been frantic or peaceful, this is a great opportunity to take a deep breath and know that we are connected with God, that God is always reaching out to us. And so in prayers of the people, there will be a number of places where I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and then our response together is, hear our prayers. Let's try that for a moment. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Perfect. Later on in this prayer, I'm going to be lifting up the first names of a number of people. Some have been in the hospital. Some have issues that they would like uh, to be included in prayer. For some, it's the families of those who have said goodbye to a loved one this past week. Uh, In addition to those, I'll say at a certain point, are there other names? It's a great chance for you to say out loud the names of those that you love and you care for. So with that in mind, let us pray. We give you thanks for this new day, O God. We thank you for the nourishing rain. We thank you for the the cool, vibrant temperatures. We thank you for that kind of freshness and for the fresh opportunities that you give us to receive love, to share love, and to bless others. We confess our fears and our shortcomings, and we also confess that it has been so easy again this week to become discouraged in all the different stories of violence and hatred and evil. We confess, O God, that we especially need your strength and we need your assurance. And we thank you, Father God, for reminding us that you are the creator of all things and you call them good. Your creation testifies about your power, grace and love. You offer us new lives and new hopes. For all these things, we give you thanks. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Everything that you create, you make free. But over and over again, our freedom is used for the purposes of sin and separation from you. And yet, at our worst, you did not abandon us. You came alongside us as Jesus the Christ, to redeem us, reconcile us, and restore us to relationship with you forever. For this salvation, we give you thanks, O God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our
1: prayers.
0: Always and everywhere, we are never alone. Through your Holy Spirit, you guide us, inspire us, and shine a light before our feet, so that we may learn to walk in your ways. For this constant presence, we give you thanks, O God, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. For Len, Wendell, Chuck, Heidi, Greg, Janet, Richard, Phil, Carrie, Martin, and Linda. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. For the lives and the legacies of Clifton, Ted, and Doris. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Are there other names? Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. For all who seek to change their hearts and find peace in you, guide us, keep us, and make us into your people. And Lord, in your mercy,
2: hear our prayers. Amen. Amen. in. So in uh, November and December of this year, a subcommittee of the finance committee of our church made up of members of the church just like you will be discerning what God has been calling our congregation uh, into ministry to do over the course of the next year. And we'll also be planning out the financial budgets of our church uh, so to help us to allocate how we're going to be living into our mission field in the year 2023. And so one of the tools that we do to help along that process is to consider how it is we as individuals. individuals or as families are going to make commitments to support the ministries of our church into the year. And then that allows our subcommittee and our church leaders to help figure out, okay, well, how is it that we're going to allocate those resources? That's what a stewardship campaign is. It's a chance for you to reflect on the resources that have been entrusted to you and your family, to determine your own spiritual growth, to determine your own relationship with resources and God, and then to determine how it is that you're going to be supportive of ministries in the life of the church in the upcoming year. And one of the ways that I like to lead into that Process every year is just to share the stories of regular people from our congregation and how it is that they reflect on those things and make those decisions. And so it's in that spirit, I'd like to invite Kelly Grossman forward. If y'all could please warm up the room and welcome Kelly first. I'd appreciate that very much. Kelly, good morning. Good morning. So who are you?
3: Uh, I'm Kelly Grossman and (laughs) I've been a member here for about three years now.
2: Okay. And and one of the things I like to ask everybody uh, is... I like to ask everyone who comes up to talk, ha- are you recently engaged? I'm just wondering, are you also recently engaged?
3: I am. Well, congratulations,
2: <laughs> Kelly. Thank you. That's very sweet. I just like to ask everybody that. It's a pro forma thing. Um, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So, outside of church, you're really involved here at church, particularly with the Young Professionals Ministry and other areas. You've also got a life. What's other stuff that's going on in your life? And, particularly, what are your interests and in the things that you like to do outside of church?
3: Well, I love to travel. Um, I like baking uh, fancy cakes. Um, Let's talk more about that. Okay.
2: <laughs> what kind of fancy are we talking about? Fancy, like, give, me, give me something. I'm really low on carbs, so this is like really exciting for me. Okay,
3: um, well, my fiance's favorite I made for him was a key lime cake with lime custard, graham cracker crust, and a blackberry frosting. <laughs>
2: God is good, y'all, come on. Uh, just remember that it's the holiday season. A lot of people like to bring cakes by the front office of the church. No one's, reg- I just, it's just something a lot of people do and just throwing that out there. So you travel, you bake, anything else?
3: Um, I root on my horn frogs, go frogs.
2: All right, come on, th- yeah, is anyone else supportive of that kind of lifestyle here? <laughs> awesome, yeah. and then you've also got a wedding to plan. And so you like to travel, you like to bake. Everyone knows that weddings are notoriously affordable and you set a budget and it stays inside of that budget. That's kind of how the process works. We're learning that. Yeah, Yeah, you're learning that. Uh, But inside of all of those things, you still live sacrificially so that you can live generously and financially support the ministries of the church. Why is that?
3: Well, when I first attended uh, this church, I was yearning for a church home, and I just instantly felt a sense of community when I came here. Um, I got plugged in with the Young Professionals group, and I've created some of the uh, most lasting, meaningful friendships, and um, I want to invest back in that group um, and other aspects of this church. Uh, because I want others to feel as welcomed and a part of this community as I was welcomed.
2: Awesome, Kelly, thank you so much. If y'all would please join me in a round of applause and appreciation. You know, stories of people who live sacrificially so they can live generously are just like that. If you're not aware that we have a young professionals ministry, it's for folks who are right outside of college, in their 20s, uh, beginning careers and families and things like that. If you head over to the Wesley Hall after church, the on ram folks would love to get you connected. It's a wonderful group. And so uh, if you've noticed in the back of your pew in front of you, there's a commitment card. It looks like this. Uh, it's high, it highlights the theme of the word created for a purpose. Each and every one of us is created for a purpose to live in relationship with God, our creator, through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything that we do as a church are in, is in line with that. And if you fill out a commitment card, then your commitment will be taken into consideration to help us determine how it is that we can live in God's mission in the upcoming year. You received one that was sent to your home in the mail. There's one in the back of pews in front of you. There's one available on our website. I've filled out my commitment card just like we do every single year. I want to encourage you and ask Ask you to do the same. Uh, at the same time, I also want to invite forward our ushers to receive today's tithes and offerings. Last Sunday, we had a Pastries with the Pastors at 9:30 that culminated with a, a joining event at the uh, the interim between the, the gathering and the traditional service. And last Sunday, we had six professions of faith. For those of you who aren't familiar, a profession of faith is someone who is making a commitment to Christian life and Christian living for the first time in their life. Sometimes it's marked by baptism. If They experienced a baptism at some other point in their life. We never re baptize We honor that previous baptism. But for everybody who makes a profession of faith, it's a first-time commitment of their whole life to Christ. For those of you who are in the room, who are part of that profession of faith, Last week, I just want you to know that you're why I get up in the morning. Uh, the joy and the love and the peace and the acceptance and the welcome that you found in Christ is what's so special about this church and what motivates everything we do. And as you, Brooks, it's okay. Um, and as you're reflecting on your tithes and offerings, please know that that heart and that spirit is what guides everything we do here at the Life of the Church. Uh, you can give online as the baskets if they come around or up on the screen. Uh, that's a link to our website, fmcfworg give now. And you can give digitally here or anywhere where you're joining us for worship this morning. Would you pray with me? Great and loving God. We bless you. We give you thanks. We ask that you, in return, bless the portion of what you have given to us that we return to you. Use it for the strengthening of your church in the body of Christ. Answer your name we pray and say, Amen.
1: i put my name on songs I'd never say. I've gambled on my muse. I told her, baby, it didn't mean a thing. She looked at me confused. Crossing those shaky bridges, the blurry lines. Deals with the devil on that old crossroad. What are you willing to compromise? You could buy the world for the price of your soul. compass on a golden stream hanging around every heart there is a bell that will or will not ring it knows the light from the dark those are those shaky bridges and blurry with the devil on that old cross what are you willing to compromise you could buy the world for the price of your soul yeah we never did, God knows we will a thousand times again, but we are a blade that is made strong by fire, every healer has been hurt, every honest man has a lie, cross shaky bridges, and blood. Deals with the devil on that old crossroad. What are you willing to compromise? You could buy the world, the price of your soul. You could buy the world at the price of your soul. Oh, you could buy the world for the price of your soul.
3: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 7a. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition, and invite you to read along in your own Bible or one of the Pew Bibles in front of you. It is on page 285 in the Pew Bible. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He brought it up and grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat from his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. God speaks through us the reading of the scripture. Thanks be to God.
2: Hello everyone, good morning. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I wanna say a word of thanks. Thank you to Kelly for uh, leading us in scripture reading and for sharing your testimony about giving. Uh, I wanna thank the band for leading us in worship. Austin, our technical director for playing harmonica. We got a mouth harp, we got an organ. We just need to throw some sawdust on the floor. We're gonna make this, y'all. Uh, I want to thank everyone who's a part of our technology team who's connecting us here in worship, in person, on 5th Street, live, anywhere online. I want to say welcome to the folks who are watching the 30 seconds of this sermon that Clint cuts out and posts on TikTok on Monday morning. It's good to see all of you. I'm thankful that you're here this morning. Uh, There's some exciting news actually that I want to share before we get into uh, the sermon today. Sometimes there's news just announcements I want a chance to get to share. I'm really excited about this announcement that's coming up. Uh, beginning next week, if you read our email, you saw it in the email that went out to the congregation. But beginning next week, we have a new pastor who's been appointed to the staff here at the church. Samuel Macias is going to be joining our pastoral staff. Uh, Samuel has a the uh, ministry, and for five years here in Fort Worth. He pastored La Trinidad United Methodist Church on the north side, which is a primarily uh, his English-speaking congregation congregation. He pastored a Buen Samaritano in Polytechnic Heights, which was a bilingual congregation. And I say was for both of those congregations because Samuel actually helped those congregations merge with Faith United Methodist Church on Belknap Street on the east side of Fort Worth. And those congregations are all doing great now together. Samuel's been doing ministry in Reynosa for the last few years and he's been appointed to our staff and will be joining us this week. So his family is traveling up. Uh, They're going to get into town on Thursday, but they still have some work to do to get situated and things like that. So maybe a week or two before you have a chance to meet Sam. Sam goes by Sam. And so I'm really excited about it. Sometimes you have a, a specific job opening on your staff and you go out and you find a specific person to fill that job opening. Sometimes it's the opposite direction. You have an opportunity uh, to, to have someone join you that has just gifts and graces and is a great fit uh, for your organization, brings you something you don't already have. And then you work with their gifts to figure out what's next. And that's the situation with Samuel. And I'm just really excited about him. Buen uh, to him and his family, he's not coming alone. His wife, Sabi, is coming uh, with him, as long as well as their daughters, uh, Sophia, Sabi, and Samantha, who are college age to high school age, as well as their dog, Sandy. So you're noticing I had to look at it to make sure I didn't mess it up. It's Sabi, Samuel, Sophia, Sabi, Samantha, and Sandy. So. <laughs> Buen viaje to all of you. I can't wait to see you when you get here. I'm really excited about what the future holds. Uh, it's going to be great. So I'm uh, thankful for them. And I just wanted to share that announcement. Uh, just a reminder to check your emails on Friday because you never know what you're going to see. So uh, I am, was reflecting on this message all week long. And this is the scripture I've known for a couple months I wanted to share in worship this Sunday. And I was praying about it and thinking about it. And what kept coming up to me was something that I learned in college. So I graduated with a communication studies degree, which I didn't go into college planning to major in communication studies. I really didn't know what my plan was. I was just kind of open to what was there for me. And I started taking classes that interested me. And I remember there was a rhetoric of the American presidency class that really interested me. So I took that class. And I remember that there was a uh, speech disorders class that really interested me. And so I took that class. And there were some organizational organizational communications and systems classes that really interested me me, and there were some multicultural communications uh, classes that interested me, and so I took those, and I remember at one point, the advisor was like, well, that's a communication studies degree, and it's time for you to leave, so (laughs) I kind of just ended up majoring in communication studies uh, more than I intended to, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the program. And if I had to distill the main learnings of that entire degree program to you, uh, it would probably be in this one analogy about how it's changed my life and how I think about communication. And it's really, really practical, both professionally and in the life of the church and in the life of my family and my friends. And that is, almost all the time, we just think communication as being what we say or write, or post, whatever. That's what we think of communication is, what do I write, what do I say? And one of the things I learned in my communication studies program is a much better way to think about the entire spectrum of communication is, it begins with what is your motivation? What do you desire to say? And why do you desire to say it? What's the thing behind the thing? And then the next step is the actual words that you say, or write, or post. And then this is where it gets tricky. The next step of communication is what the person on the other end thinks you said or wrote or posted. And then the last portion of it is how, what that person thinks you said or wrote or posted made them feel. Does that make sense? That's the whole spectrum of communication. We think of communication as just, what did I say? But it's so much more than that. It's what's the motivation, what's the reasoning, what's the desire behind it? What is it that you actually say or post or write? What does the audience think you said or post or wrote? And then how does what you said or post or wrote make them feel? That's the whole spectrum of communication. And I'm thinking about that in the context of my very tortured relationship with social media. So I've shared this before. I I was an early adopter of social media. I was back there on the Facebook, right? When you had to have an EDU address to be a part of it. I was an early adopter for a lot of social media platforms, and I enjoyed them, and then I didn't and you may have had a similar experience. And I ultimately expatriated from social media and was off social media for years. Uh, and then Clint, our worship leader, joined our staff as the communications director, and he pointed out, hey, just wanna let you know, people come to church and for an hour as often as they come to church, and the average person spends two hours a day on social media. So if you want to actually speak to the world, right, know where they are, so. Uh, I'm, I'm back, but it was without, not without a lot of uh, you know, concern and trepidation, and if I had to describe kind of what was causing me difficulty with social media and being on it and what I was reading or hearing, I think we would all have, an, we would all describe it in different ways, but we're all describing the same thing. You might use words like it's too political, or you might use words like it's too polarizing, or you might use words like it's too divisive. Is this resonating with anybody? Are you, am I the only one? And particularly the kind of people I was, I was following, I, I really appreciated their perspective. I appreciated where they were coming from. I appreciated how they viewed the world and yet something that was just more often than not, you know, encountering me was making me feel judged, excluded, down, insufficient, etc. Does that make sense? And if I had to put a name to it, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about what it was that, uh, was resulting in me wanting to just retreat from this entire conversation. It wasn't that people were talking about like politics or religion or all these kind of things. Those things are fine. It was the way that they were talking about them. And there's a word, uh, you know, if we're going to do a definition, let's go all the way and put the, uh, Let's put the the syllables in there too. Y'all know the word sanctimonious? Y'all know the word sanctimonious? The definition of sanctimonious is making a show of being morally superior to other people. It's a performative act and sanctimonious speech is ultimately about the purposes of I need you to know that I think this is terrible, bad, and no good. I need you to know that this is terrible, bad, or no good. And the end result of experiencing so much sanctimonious speech was that I just wanted to retreat from it. Regardless of whether people were correct or not correct, it was just sanctimonious. And so uh, you can pull that down. I want to think about that definition, and I want that definition to be a lead-in to our scripture reading today. So we're in a series called Crossroads, Right now, we are looking at these key foundational stories that come to us from the Hebrew Bible, and the Crossroads theme is because all the characters in these stories are at major inflection points in their lives, and there's a lot for us to learn as we watch other people experience major inflection points in their life. We talked about King David last week, but he wasn't King David, he was Boy David. He was Shepherd David. And he was at a major inflection point, a major crossroads in his life. And he comes off as a hero in that story because he's willing to look at the world as it actually is. And he's willing to trust and believe into the promises of God. He's, he's literally a heroic story. He's literally a founding character in the life of the story of faith at that point. That's who David is in that story. But David as a whole character and David as a whole life is not always something to be emulated. In fact, some of what David does is a cautionary tale to each and every one of us who study his life in its totality. Our scripture reading today is a conversation that the prophet Nathan had with David. And it comes at a very particular time. Nathan telling that story, that allegory about a rich man and a poor man and what the poor man has that the rich man ultimately takes away is the result of a situation that has happened. And so you may have a perfect understanding of this story, but there's some new folks here. So if you don't, I'd like to share some of the background. So what's happened in the intervening years after the shepherd David moment is David's grown up and he's been in a long and protracted series of armed conflicts with Saul, his predecessors, and with foreign people. Ultimately, he's come to reside in Jerusalem as the king, as the unifier of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. People are rallied behind him. They are experiencing what is ultimately referred to as the high point of the kingdom of the people of Israel. All of those things are going great. And what is also happening in the life of David is he's beginning to experience moral rot. Before there was ever a king in Israel, when Israel was led more like a quote-unquote theocracy by judges and religious leaders who were appointed over the people of Israel, more like prophets, and there was no kingdom. At one point, the people of Israel had been yelling and literally speaking up, saying, we desire a king in order to be like the countries that surround us, and the prophet Samuel had said to the people, you don't want a king. Kings are takers. Kings take your resources, they take your land, they take your good, they take goods, they take your sons, they take your daughters. Kings are takers. You do not want a king. You have all that you need in God. And the people of Israel say, give us a king. And it breaks God's heart, and they do. And so they have in David this strong warrior king for a time. But as he becomes more and more of a king and more and more accustomed to his power and what it allows him to do to other people, his life is rotting morally. His troops are out fighting. He used to go with them. He doesn't go anymore. He stays back safe and comfortable in his home. He goes up to his roof and he sees from the rooftops a young woman and she's bathing and he desires her. David has six wives, right? This is not about sex. David has six wives. He sees that woman and he desires her. He asks, inquires about her. The word comes back, Her name is Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, which means to David, she's the wife of one of your best soldiers, one of the leaders on whom you rely, who's out fighting on your behalf while you stay here comfortable at home. That's who she is. She doesn't have any children, which in their culture means she's probably very young. Think teenage aged. David tells those who follow him david tells those who obey his every command david tells those who are an extension of his power bring her to me so they bring her to him and uh, i want to use uh, pg-rated language um, so they are intimate i also want to use pg-rated language while ultimately acknowledging that she has no agency in this situation she has no rights or recourse in this situation. She does not have the ability to say no in this situation. That is what David does to her, the wife of one of the people on whom he relies. Word comes back to her, that she, back to David, that she's conceived a child. David, David doesn't know what to do. And so he comes up with a plan. Tell Uriah to come home. Tell Uriah to come back from the battlefield. Uriah does. Uh, he says to Uriah, Uriah, go home. Be comfortable, wash your feet, which is a biblical euphemism, hoping that ultimately the, the child that's born to Bathsheba can be prescribed to Uriah. Uriah doesn't, it's against their conventions of what's appropriate for a soldier. He doesn't do that, so David panics a little bit more. So he decides to have dinner with Uriah. He invites Uriah to dinner and he has dinner across from him and the entire time, David doesn't get drunk, but he tries to get Uriah drunk and he succeeds. So to drunken Uriah, he says, Uriah, go home in order so that he, David, can get out of trouble. Uriah doesn't. In fact, Uriah goes and sleeps there at the king's house, surrounded by the king's servants, all of whom knows what's going on. So David comes up with a plan. He writes a letter to Uriah's commander, and he forces Uriah to carry it. The letter that he forces to Uriah to carry is Uriah's own death sentence. It says when Uriah goes out in the battlefield, have the troops pull back from him so that he's killed in battle. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is dead, murdered, using the sword of the enemies as a murder weapon. Uh, Uriah, I mean, David allows uh, Bathsheba to mourn for a period of time, and then he marries her so that the child that's ultimately born can be viewed as an appropriate outcome of their legal marriage, so to speak. And David has gotten away with it, except in the eyes of God. And that's where Nathan comes forward. Nathan's a prophet. Nathan Nathan is a person through whom God speaks. And Nathan's in this crossroads. He needs to say something like this. He needs to say a word that opens the eyes of the king to what he's done, that lays bare his sins, that confronts the reality of the situation to a person who is now not only willing to covet and to lie and to steal, to commit adultery, to force adultery upon others, to sexually assault, but also to murder. So that's tough. And he has to figure out what to say and what to do. And so he says this story. He gives this speech. And he gives this speech as an opportunity for it to become clear to David in a way that David would not otherwise understand the reality and the totality of what David has done in the eyes of God. David's actually able to hear it. David's actually able to beg for forgiveness. David's actually able to recognize the deep sin that he has committed, to recognize the rot that's taking place in his life, and to get a chance to make a change. The word sanctimonious is making a show of being morally superior to other people. But there's an inverse of it. There's an alternative to sanctimonious. There's a kind of speech that is actually helpful, that is actually powerful, that's actually meaningful when it comes to speaking truth that other people need to hear even if they don't want to hear it. And it's sanctified speech sanctified speech. To sanctify is to bless something, to set something apart as holy, to consecrate it for the good of God. To sanctify something is to free it from sin, to purify something. As a United Methodist, one of the things that we understand is on the other side of your baptism and you're stepping into the fullness of what God has for you, you continue to experience Christ's sanctifying grace, Christ's saint-making grace, Christ's life-changing and purifying grace. That's something that Christ is up to in you every single day. That's part of our understanding of what happens when we participate in worship, when we live sacrificially and in community and we serve other people and we celebrate this good life that God has given to us to enjoy. That's God's sanctifying grace. And if sanctimonious is making a show of being morally superior to other people, then sanctified speech is speech that is holy and consecrated and good and pure and actually speaks a word of salvation and hope to the people that hear it. Okay, so can I tell you my Monday plan for this sermon? My Monday plan for this sermon was a slide that says, here's how you can make sure your speech is sanctified and not sanctimonious. And I was like, ooh, that'll preach. And that'll tweet, right? But the truth is this, as as I read this story, And as I prayed over it and as I reflected on it and as I walked around the neighborhood and thought about it, the one thing that just kept coming up to me was how much I yearn to experience the sanctified speech of others. Because the truth is, God speaks to you through other people all the time. The truth is that Christ speaks to you through other people all the time. That word you need to hear that it's a fresh balm to your soul. The word that you need to hear that directly addresses and heals your biggest hurts. The word that you hear that's a warning and pulls you back from the edge and sets you on the right path is sanctified speech. And it is good news and it is glorious and it is wonderful to experience. And I yearn for it and I hope that you yearn for it too. And one of the key things in understanding is the word that we're hearing sanctified or sanctimonious. Is the word that someone is speaking to us sanctified or sanctimonious? Or is the word that we feel called to speak to someone sanctified or sanctimonious? I want to ask you to remember this full spectrum of communication and remember what's the motivation behind it. Because the motivation behind sanctimonious speech is I need you to know that what you, I think what you're doing is wrong. Sanctified speech, the motivation behind it is to call someone into a deeper relationship with God. To call someone into a truth that ultimately heals them and sets them free. What sanctified speech looks like is very seldom angry or condemning, but usually grace and hope filled. When people receive sanctimonious speech, they feel judged and lesser than and the feeling that they get is shame. When people experience sanctified speech, what they experience is direction and clarification and what they feel is the desire to make amends and set on a new path. So what I wanna lift up today, in a world where everyone's posting in a world where everyone's reading posts and in a world where everyone's talking and everyone's hearing comments, what I wanna lift up to you today is just this, the difference between sanctified and sanctimonious. Before you speak, ask yourself the question, what's the motivation behind this? Is it to condemn? Is it to shame? Is it just so that they know I think what they're doing is unacceptable? Or is it their salvation? Is it their life well lived? Is it their deeper connection to God? Because I am hungry for sanctified speech in my life. And I know you are too. And I know they are too. So the crossroads, the impetus of change, that moment of inflection that each and every one of us faces today is when you hear that sanctified speech, When you hear that speech that's not about shaming or judging, but about calling you into a deeper relationship with your real God. When you hear that speech that isn't about blaming, but is about drawing you into the freedom that belongs to you, will we listen? And when our chance comes to say something, will we say it? Let us pray. Great and loving God, through your prophet Nathan you speak a word of challenge a word of difficulty but a word that is ultimately intended for salvation repentance, forgiveness and restoration Lord that is the hallmark of sanctified speech and sanctified speakers may we be given such a gift and when that gift is given to us through others may we have the ears to hear. Guide us Keep us, shape us in the sanctifying image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray the words he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. As I invite those who will be serving communion to come forward, we always experience this moment of sanctifying grace at the altar every single Sunday. It's a chance to come forward, taste, touch, feel, and know the presence of Christ, who on the day that he was to give himself up for us, took an ordinary loaf of bread, gave thanks over it, blessed it, and passed it, and said, take all of you and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal was over, he took a cup of ordinary table wine, gave thanks over it, blessed it, and passed it, and said, take all of you and drink, for this is my blood of the new covenant, the new promise, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, as we eat and drink of the sacred meal, we do so as a chance to experience that very same sanctifying grace in our lives. In just a moment, beginning with the rear of the room, ushers are going to release you to come forward, starting in the back. You're going to come down one of these aisles to the, one of the stations up front where your hands are held open like this. Someone with a food service glove will take a piece of bread and place it in your hand. We also have gluten free bread for anyone with a sensitivity to wheat. As you go to the next station and receive a pre filled cup of non alcoholic grape juice, I invite you to eat the bread and drink the juice as you begin to head up the aisles back to your seat there will be a trash can on either one of those aisles into which you can place your now empty cup. This is not the First United Methodist Church's table. This is not the Gathering's table. This is Christ's table. Like his grace, like his love, like his promise of sanctifying grace and like his presence in Holy Communion, it is for everyone here today, every age, every background, every understanding. For those of you who are in the balcony, there'll be a station set up on the side for you to receive in the balcony as well. Or of course, you're welcome to come down and join us as the altar. The table is set, the meal is ready. As you are dismissed, come forward and be fed.
1: and take your place so bring it all to the table it's nothing he ain't seen before for all your sin all your sorrow and your sadness there's a Savior
2: As we come to the end of our time of worship today, I just want to lift up the All Saints service next Sunday. So, in the greater Christian tradition, the first Sunday of November is All Saints Sunday, and it's a special worship service that lets us not only acknowledge the those of us in our community who have gone ahead over the course of the last year, but also kind of ties how all of us ultimately rest our lives in the hope of heaven. And it's a very powerful service and one of my favorite every single year. So, I hope you make it a point to join us. And if you have someone in your life who's maybe experienced the death of a loved one in the last year. Even if they're not a part of this church or any church, I think it'd be a great Sunday to extend that invitation to them. Uh, Immediately following the service, if you walk out the doors in the rear and over across the garden into Wesley Hall, of course, we're gonna have more coffee and breakfast tacos there. We also have the uh, on-ramp station. It's a chance for you to visit folks. Um, If you're new to this church, we have a first-time gift. If you're a first-time visitor or guest, we have a gift for you. If you wanna find out more about how to get connected or take next steps, the people there can answer that question. Also, after this and every service, we have someone designated to pray with you. Andrea Rankin is one of our congregational care ministers. She'll be by the sign over here in the front. If there's something on your heart today that's just weighing extra heavy, please don't leave without letting us pray with you about that. We'd love to join you in lifting that and all things up in prayer. Now, would you please bow your heads and receive this benediction? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face raise and shine upon you. And as you are about this world, may your ears and your heart be open to the sanctified speech that draws you closer in relationship to God now and every day. Amen. Go in peace.